call me the optimist because I absolutely believe that doesn't matter what the circumstances, what we're going through, that God has always got a plan and a purpose. So I want to continue now to come to our message and I'm recording this sermon for you on a Saturday night. It will be loaded up and it will be ready for you to watch it on a Sunday as your normal normal church service. But for today, I want to move on to the church in Percamos or in Smyrma, I beg your pardon. And that's the second church. Now, before I get to the church, I was praying during the week and uh, I was contemplating about the word and reading through the passage again. And I've preached through these churches a few times and I went over some of the, the notes I had previously when I preached through them. And just spending some time with the Lord in my quiet time during the week, it dawned upon my heart that the people who will hear me now, you who's sitting in your living room there, listening to me on your computer, on your phone, doesn't matter where it is. I absolutely believe that maybe 90% of you know every single fact about this church. I don't think it's going to be the first time that you hear the things that I'm going to tell you today. I don't think it's going to be the first time that you get a little bit deeper into that and, and look at the understanding thereof, which made me think, and I asked this question to the Lord, I said, Lord, so what is the implications of what we're going to hear today on me? What is the message you want to give me? What do you want to tell me about this? Remember what I said, there's a threefold application, a local prophetic and a personal application. And I want to start speaking towards that now. What is that message for you who already know? You've, you've heard so many sermons about this. You've studied it for yourself. You know what I'm going to read. You, you can actually, some of you can, can nearly quote these scripture verses off by heart around the church of Smyrna. A lot of you know that the, smir, the word smirma mean, means bitterness. It means myrrh. Uh, myrrh is what's used for death. We're talking about a persecuted church here, and you can smell the stench of death in the air. Or even if you think about that, you can imagine smelling the stench of death in the air. So that made me think about how can I address this? How can I come from a, a different way that the Lord wants to speak to you today? And what a great time that we are going through. You know, we are all locked down and a lot of people feel personally that that's a persecution upon them. Uh, you know, taking away freedoms. And uh, if you look around the world, there's people in other parts of the world who are persecuted. And I want to tell you about such a man. So with the sermons going out over SoundCloud and via YouTube, um, I told you a few weeks ago that I get a lot of people that I can literally see download the sermons and listen to them. I can actually see how much time they spend once they download it. And that gives me an indication that people are listening outside the, the boundaries of Australia all over the world are listening to the sermons. And I'm really excited about that. Not because it's my sermons, but it's because the word of the Lord goes over and, and if they find some kind of resemblance in what I preach or find ease for my voice on the ears, any which way, it doesn't matter. If they can just sit there and the word of God, and this is why preaching the word of God is for me so important. I want to say more about God than I say about anything else. But this man, 
a man in Pakistan whose name is Imtaz. I started seeing a message coming through uh, Facebook and he messaged me directly. Uh, and, and it's only short words. I don't know whether the man can't speak proper English, but it is good morning, Pastor. God bless. And uh, this went on for a few days. And I'll go back to him and I say, good morning, you know. And after a few times, he says, God is good. And, and you know, I, I tie back to him and say, that is so. You never know who approached you through these things, so you've got to be careful. But then just a couple of days ago, he came through in a message that he sent to me and he says, Morning, Pastor, we are persecuted. Hmm. In Pakistan, a Christian. So I looked a little bit further. So I looked into his profile and I saw that the friends he's got is all pastors. So here is a man sitting in Pakistan. At this point in time, who most probably is persecuted for his faith. And we are sitting in a, in, in a city and are so unhappy about being locked down and our freedom taken away. This person can lose every single thing if they crack down on him because of his faith. Now, I know, I absolutely know, and I've preached it for many years, and I know some of you know about it, that persecution will come for us in the Western world. In fact, if you look at the world powers and if you look what's going on, the scene is absolutely set for what Revelation talks about when a persecution is going to come like never seen before against religion. And I pick my word religion purposely here. Because I absolutely believe that the church will be out of the world after chapter 4. But for those, for those who stay behind, you better be ready because there is coming a terrible time. Now, somebody said to me uh, recently, but don't you feel obliged to warn the church and to prepare the church for the tribulation. And I said, no, why do I feel obliged? Listen to me. What do I have to do as a pastor to, to get the church ready for the tribulation of God? This is not persecution, the tribulation of God. What, what do I need to do? Do I need to preach a certain way? Do I need to hype people up a certain way? Do I have to tell lies to people about a false revival in a certain way? No, no. Let me explain to you something which I absolutely believe. If you are born again, the responsibility falls upon you and my shoulders to study the scriptures, to grow in faith, to grow in grace. And that, my friend, should prepare you for everything in life. There's no special notion of preparation for the church to go through the tribulation. You know, are we going to become militant? I don't read anything about that. I don't. I read about Jesus Christ coming back in Revelation chapter 19, where he's going to rage a war, which we all know what that war is all about. But I think a lot of Christians 
watch too much Hollywood. I think a lot of people watch too much movies about the future and they never study the word of God. So if you ask me again, preacher out there, if you say that, you know, your people will not be ready for the tribulation. Well, I, I prove you wrong because in our church and in the churches that I've pastored over the years, at the end, when people spend some time in the church, they quote the scriptures. They say, this is written. And they quote scriptures which strengthens them. And they have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive and he knows what's going on in the world today. So all I'm going to do, so I'm going to preach the word of God. Now, we come to persecution today, and, and I want to ask you the question then, what does persecution mean to you? What does it mean to you? I think it's a fair question. If you ask people in the Western world, they will talk about social persecution. They will say that I've lost all my friends. Um, nobody wants to talk to me. They make fun of me. But you've lost nothing. That's social persecution. Uh, you've lost a few friends and you've made other friends in the church, hopefully, as you visit the church. And if you see like-minded Christians and people who love the Lord and the love of, the, like the Bible says, the love of God is poured out into their hearts. You start loving each other and you make new friends, friends in the faith. And you never, you never forget the old friends. You keep on praying for them. You pray for salvation for them. But that's the only persecution. I mean, if you ask me personally, I've never been hit, you know, physically violated for the word of God. Never. I mean, personally, I've never. I've never been put out of my house because of my faith. I've never been, you know, lost my job because of my faith. And you might say, but you haven't put yourself in that position. Well, the question is, do I have to then put myself in that position? Or will persecution come by its own, as we see right through the history in the Word of God? So what does persecution mean to you? Now, I absolutely know. This is me, and I spoke on behalf of myself. But if if you, there's some of you who listen to me now, who look at me now, who say, but preacher, you know absolutely nothing. I have been persecuted. I have lost my job. I have lost my livelihood. <clears throat> and that's why I ask the question, what does it mean to you? And how did you get through that? How did you get through that persecution? And no doubt there would be some people in the world like in Pakistan and like in Iran and like in places in Iraq and the Middle East and China, especially China, there would be people there who listen to me now and say, you know nothing and you're absolutely right. I do not know nothing, anything about that kind of persecution. That's why I asked the question. What does persecution mean to you? So let's just take time out of the equation here and let's Let's wind back the clock, okay? And we come now to a church in Smyrna. This church in this very affluent city. This city in Smyrna was known as, as a little bit of a jewel in the Middle East. It was, it was a very affluent city and it was a place where the statues of the gods were there, the false gods. But by the time this is now written, 
those gods started becoming old news now and there's a new a new wave that started coming into society and that was emperor worship this is on the cusp of it when we start hearing about this church this is the time when the people came there and they said now we replace the title of the Caesar with the word Lord. And you had to go to the temple and you had to bow the knee and you need to raise your fist and shout, Caesar is Lord. This is now the time that I'm talking about in this place in Smyrna. So if we wind the clock back now and I, and I ask the same question to people in the church of Smyrna, in the city of Smyrna, what does persecution mean to you? I wonder what the answer would be. And I wonder if sometimes we in the Western world will be ashamed if we hear those answers and we look at what we complain about sometimes. So here we find that church and, and Jesus now appears in the book of Revelation to John on the Isle of Patmos and he says to him, write these things to the seven churches. The first church addressed love. It's the love for God that disappeared. The love for the one who saved you that disappeared in the first church. And then the letter to the second church went on to the second church. And here we find, we find, and, and I'm coming back to the answer you're giving me. Some people might give us a terrible answer around what does persecution mean to you? But we can see now how Jesus addresses this church and the message of encouragement he gives them. But let me first give you the definition for persecution. Persecution is hostility or an ill treatment, especially because of one's race. And we've seen that a lot. I personally think it's a little bit overblown in our time where, you know, now all of a sudden everybody's racist. I don't believe I'm racist, but now they say, well, you know, you might not believe that, but subconsciously you are racist. That, in my books, is a lot of nonsense. But people will be persecuted. You know, they will be ill-treated. They will have hostility against them because of the race, their race. Some people about their political uh, association, they will be persecuted for that. And we see that all over your news. But then the one which attracts us, the one that we want to talk about today is being a hostile against somebody because of their religious beliefs or their faith. I like faith better because I don't believe we're in a religion. This is persecution, to be hostile against somebody because of their faith, to ill-treat somebody because of their faith. And we've got so many examples of this hostility and this ill treatment. Uh, I think of the confis confiscation of, of property. I was reading about people in Egypt, Christians in Egypt, who, who once they were persecuted, they, you know, their property were taken away. All of their possessions, all of their belongings were taken away. Uh, if, if they go on a holiday and they come back, their place is gone. 
because they were Christians. All, all the other homes were all, they can go on holidays for two or three months. They come back. The police will even protect their properties. But because you're a Christian, there's no protection for you. The moment you leave your house, it is open for everybody to come and ransack the place. And, and this is an example of being ill-treated because of your faith, the loss of property. And, and what about the incitement of hatred? Um, of arrests, people being arrested for their faith. And I say it again, it's, it's coming. It's, it's just coming. And then, you know, they've been arrested and imprisoned. I, I, you know, just fresh off of the news now, this pastor, which has been arrested in Canada. He had a, he had a Bible study at his home with his family and the police came into his home and arrested him. In Australia, there was a pastor who was being put into jail and, and I, I understand, I hear that he asked for a Bible and he, he didn't even get a Bible. He, they wouldn't allow him to have a Bible. So this is called persecution. And then what about people who's been, been beaten for what they believe in? You know, physically attacked. And they were tortured because of their faith. And I, and I hear stories in, in China that these things happen. And then obviously you, you get people who were executed and murdered. This is all persecution. This is the kind of persecution we're talking about. And let it be known that persecution in this sense is not the great tribulation that's going to come from the Lord after the rapture for seven years upon this earth. So we pick up now in Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. And I want you now to listen when Jesus picked for himself a title to speak to this church. He gave all these titles to John in chapter 1. But now when he speaks to them, he says to them, And to the angel in the church of Smyrma, write these things, says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Don't you find it fascinating? Why? When John wrote this letter to this church, this physical church in Smyrna, why, when he had all of those titles that Jesus, the characteristics and titles of Jesus in chapter 1, that he could have used that for that church in Smyrna? Remember, he's sitting on the Isle of Patmos. He had no clue. There is no CNN, NBSNC, Fox News, you know, TV, satellite. There was nothing. Maybe a word came to him. I, no, no. Jesus appeared to him. And when he wrote to the church in Smyrna, Jesus knew that they were persecuted. And Jesus told him, when you write this letter to the church in Smyrna, I want you to use this title, the first and the last, who was dead, who was dead and came to life. The word smirma means bitter. It means myrrh. It is associated with death. To that church, Jesus writes, He was dead and came to life. Now this is <clears throat> absolutely fascinating. He reminds them that He is the first and He is the last. He's the one who started everything. And he's the one who will end everything. He has got, in other words, the final say. Isn't it great to serve a master, a lord, a savior like that? You can give me any person upon the face of the earth right now. I will choose Jesus. Why? Because he's got the final say. He's the first and he's the last. 
He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was spat at. He was sworn at. He was found guilty when he was innocent. He was taken to a cross. He was crucified. It's him that writes to these people. In other words, he knows what it means to be persecuted. And I don't know about you. I think it is good to hear from somebody who has got the experience of something you are going through. It's always better. You can have one person who come out of university with all of the head knowledge. They've opened up a book and, and you know, if you ask them a question, they will go into the book and they will say, yes, the book says this. But then you have somebody else who come to you and say, don't worry what the book says. Let me tell you what happened. And here we find that man. And I want you to, to understand something about him. When he spoke to this church, I, I think he wanted them to know that he knows everything. He knows everything. He's the first and the last. Before I was even born, he knows. And when I'm no longer going to be on the face of the earth, he still knows. He knows everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. So you are sitting in a situation right now. I want you to understand something. He knows your circumstances. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. So then he continues on. He says to them, verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. What a contrast. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are in the synagogue of Satan. He says, and in fact, when you look at the translation of these out of the original scriptures, the word there for works wasn't there. The translators brought it in, brought it in there. So it should actually read, I know your tribulation and your poverty. But we will work with the work words there, works. The only thing that I will say about that is, is he knows your words, not what you said and not what you meant or intended to do. He knows the things you've done, your works. And then he continues on, your tribulation. Now, the word here for tribulation is not, it, it means pressure. I know the pressure that you're under, the persecution that you're under. And I want to repeat myself by saying that this is not the great tribulation, like some people preach. You know, are you preparing the church to go through the tribulation? No. No, I'm not. Because I absolutely believe we will not go through the great tribulation. And let me give it to you. Let me give your if. You know, if you want to answer the if. If it do happen that we go through tribulation, you should already be prepared. I don't need to do anything to prepare you. What are we going to do? We're going to pray and read the Bible and grow in grace and grow in faith. That's your preparation. I'm not going to stand around with banners and marches and, you know, you know, whatever. That's not the work. Jesus didn't call me to do that. He called me to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them, not to walk around city streets and, you know, you know, whatever. If you want to do that, I'm not against that. You do what you do. You do what the Lord tells you to do. But here we find, he says, I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through and, and all of these things that you are going through. And then 
and and like I I can unpack now a lot of bad things they that happened to them. You know, brought into the theaters, thrown to animals. You know, killed by gladiators. Um, you know, uh, they, their possessions taken away from them, thrown into prisons. And prison then isn't like you think prison today. It's not where, you know, heated floors and you can sit and play PlayStation and watch TV and get gourmet food. Prison back in those days were not like that. If you're in prison, you get no food. Your friends had to come to the dungeon and the, and the prison and they, they bring you food and they put themselves in such a danger that if they bring the food that they can be caught and put into jail. So it was a terrible thing to happen to them, but they were put into jails and all of these things. And that was part of their tribulation, their persecution. But then he also says your poverty. And this is something which really hits home to what we see going on around the world. And that is, if, you, if you've if you got faith in Christ, that they will take your position away, they will take your job away. In those days, if you didn't go to the temple and, and denounce Christ by putting up your hand in the air and say, Caesar is Lord, if you didn't do that, they would take all your positions away. They, you can't work anymore. And they would, they would imprison you and kill you and, and put you on, on flames of fire to be burned. I know of such a man who lived in that city. His name is Polycarp. Polycarp was 75 years old. And there was a decree that went out to all of, of the people around the city that they had to come to the temple and denounce Christ and call Caesar his Lord. And Polycarp was living of, just not in the city, outside of the city, a small farm. And eventually the soldiers came to him and they they arrested him and took him into the city. And it is said that on his way there, that even one, because he was such a gentle man, a man of God, a man of faith, and that a lot of people knew him and they, they loved Polycarp. And as he walked into the city with them in under arrest, that they pleaded for him to denounce God and to uh, hail Caesar. And they've even put him on the stake and they put all the wood around him. And they said to him, Polycarp, just say the word will take you off. And as they lit the flames, these words were called out by Polycarp. He said, for 75 years, my Lord's been faithful to me and I will be faithful to him now. And he died on a stake, burned to death. This is what they left him. But now he says, I know, I know your your poverty. I know your struggles. And, and you know, even in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 33, the Hebrew writer writes to us, he says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both to, by reproaches and tribulations. He writes about the same thing here. I believe it was Paul who wrote Hebrews, but you can have your own writer in there. Uh, needless to say, God wrote the whole New Testament. And he says, while you were made a spectacle, as a child of God and a reproach and while you went through tribulations and persecution and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated for you had compassion on me in my chains. This is why I believe it is Paul who writes this because he was put into chains and, and you know, some people turned away from Paul because of that. Who, who wants to follow a jailbird? 
But these people had compassion with him on his, on his chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. You see, here we're sitting and I, I hear so many people, you know, protect my house, Lord. This is my only property I've got. Oh, Lord, protect this, this, this valuable iPhone. I've spent so much money and I worked so hard for, for it's my property. Don't take my property. You know, uh, all of these beautiful things, you know, ornaments. Look at my beautiful ornaments, Lord. Let no one come and plunder my ornaments. And, and let me just say this. Then you get some teaching and say that I complete the blood of Christ to protect my, my possession, my property. Why would you want to make the blood of Christ so cheap? So cheap. For things that's got no value. I know. I'm upsetting a lot of people right now. But there's a teaching going around where people walk and they, they plead the blood around their house to protect their house. The blood of Christ was never intended for that. Let it be known. There is power in the blood to save you from your sin and to protect you against the second death. And that's the power of the blood. I continue before I digress. He says, For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring position for yourself in heaven. And this is where Jesus says to them now, he says, he says, I know your works and your poverty, but you are rich. Rich in what? They've got no possessions. Nothing. They've lost it all. But they, my friend, my brother, sister, has rich in heavenly blessings and in an heavenly inheritance. Can't be touched by hands. That's where they were reaching. They were reaching not going to die the second death. It's really interesting that when we're going to come to the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church, who were rich, but Jesus says they are poor. The opposite. Here we find it now where he says to them that you are rich and, and, and God knows. God knows this. And I, and now he says, he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not by the synagogue of Satan. It happened in those days. You know, these, these Christians, these Christian Jews, there were others infiltrating them and saying, we are part of you. We like you. And there are so many imposters in the church today. So many. If they turn away from the word of God and they teach their own doctrines, they got people following them, you know, and some of these doctrines have been passed over from one generation to another generation to another generation. That if you start, if you start applying the word of God to that doctrine and you find that doctrine is not scripturally sound, that, that it is so difficult to speak to third and fourth generation people who hold on to stuff which their grandpa and grandma said. Grandpa would not be wrong, will he? Well, if it's not according to the word of God, he is wrong. And we find so many imposters into the church these days who call themselves Jews, but they are not. And Jesus is straightforward calling them the synagogue of Satan. In, in those days in, in the, in the city, they set up even synagogues and, and, and they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. 
this is arrived, they need to arrive now. I can spend time and time and hour and, and days here highlighting them out for you, showing, naming and shaming them. But that's not my ministry. My ministry is to preach the gospel of God and to correct error when it comes along. And this is what we want to do. So he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but they are not. He knows that. This is why he let them continue on because Jesus Christ knows about them and he will deal with them. I want you to look at me in the face here, ministry. If you preach anything but the word of God, if you preach your own doctrines and philosophies, you are in serious trouble, not from this world, but from the God of the universe. So he knows them and he knows that they are rich. In verse 10, he says, do not fear of any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have a tribulation. Ten days, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. There's so much in this verse. He says, first of all, do not fear. Fear is paralyzing faith. If you have got fear, your faith will be paralyzed. Fear fear starts with thoughts. And if thoughts are unchecked in your mind, it, 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 it erodes your emotions. And emotions then flows into actions. And those actions, if it's not checked, uh, produces your next step of thoughts, your next step of emotions, and your next step of actions. And so many people has gone through life, and then once the emotions are, 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 are fired up, they make decisions when they should not make decisions. It says, do not fear those things which you are about to suffer. Don't fear it. And I know, this is why I asked the question when we started, I said, what does persecution mean to you? And I haven't got experience what you've got. I haven't got that. And I don't know what you're going through and how hard and difficult and painful it is. But Jesus, who went through that, don't listen to me. Listen to him. He went through all of that. And it's him who says, do not fear those things that you're about to suffer. And then he gives them a word. He says, the devil is going to throw some into prison, into that difficult place for 10 days. Now, there's been a debate about this 10 days for so many. I've heard so many answers to this. Some say it's literal 10 days. Some say it's 10 emperors and they, they time out the emperors. And it works out, you know, since the first emperor and the last, they were 10. They were 10 that persecution happened around. Some say, you know, there's 10 decades, because, you know, 10 days is like a decade. You know, a day is like, like a year and all, all of that. You, you can use any one of those and, and believe that. The message I believe around this is that persecution will come, but there is an end to it. It's going to be 10 days. You know, if it was physical 10 days, know that after the 10th day, you will be, you will be out of persecution. It's, it's something like, you know, oh, maybe it's not the lockdown here in Melbourne when they say, we're going to lock you down for five days. Oh, then after five days, at least you're sitting here and you go, well, Tuesday is the fifth day. At least, you know, we can, we can handle all of this because Tuesday we know we've got our freedom back. Well, maybe, maybe, because. We know now that the goalposts get shifted every single time. 
But the, the message here is, is that there is an end to this coming. And that's the encouragement he wants to give it to them, that there is an end coming to this. But then he says to them, you will be tested. And, and we pick this up in James chapter 1 verse 12 when James writes about this. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. That is tests. Blessed are you. And for when he has approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Wait a minute. Here Jesus writes to the church in Smyrna. He says, be faithful until the death and I will give you the crown of life. Earlier through the Holy Spirit, he made James write this. Earlier, you know, happening, James wrote it. But he said, be blessed if you endure temptation because if you've been approved, you will receive the crown of life. So what is the indicator here? What is the one thing that will negate or uh, oppose persecution? What is the one thing that will carry you through persecution? I believe James gives us the answer when he says, the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you love him, you will stay with him. And what is the crown of life? It's eternal life. And you will see in the next verse that he contrasts that with another death. Let's look at uh, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What is the overcoming here? It is overcoming to stay strong during the times of persecution, like Polycarp. And what will you receive? You will not be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death, I've preached about this whole sermon. Um, if you go onto the web and you go back and you, you search up the, 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 um, topic key of, of, of death, you will see, and I've preached a whole sermon around that. The second death is the lake of fire. It's the lake. You know, the Bible says, do not fear those who can kill you physically, but fear the one who can kill you once you are dead already, which is the second death. So I want to use this now, as you know, and I'm, I'm comparing it to the kingdom parables in Matthew 13. Now, let me read you the second parable in Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tears amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced crop, then the tears also appeared. You say, preacher, how does this relate to this church in Smyrna? Let's look at a few correlation things that's happening here. In the church of Smyrna, Jesus said to them, he, he said to them specifically, he says, indeed, uh, let, let, let me read the verse for you. He says, and I know verse nine, he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. This is similar to when this man slept that the enemy, the evil one, Satan came. And what did he do? He also sowed tears amongst the wheat. He defiled it. He came in in, in sheep's clothing. It's the same thing. It's the same message here. Here we have the church in, in Smyrna and in, in amongst them came people, the Jews. They call themselves Jews, but were not Jews. They were imposters. And here we find the same thing in the second parable. The, the tears that came in and amongst the weeds. And, and let it be known that when, when it's small, you can't identify between them. This is what the servants say to the owner there in Matthew 13, 27. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, 
Did you not sow good seed in your field? How is it then that it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. You see, Jesus said to them, I know. Those who call themselves Jews, but they are uh, uh, the synagogue of Satan. The enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go out and gather them up? Gather them up, you know, while it's still sitting there before the harvest. Let's go in and rip them apart. But he said, no, lest you, while you gather the tears, you also uproot the wheat with them. No, don't do that. Wait, but wait. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them. Lake of fire. Second death. Can you see how the second parable compares to the second letter? Burn them in the lake of fire. Who? The tares. But gather the wheat unto my barn. I'm wheat. I want to be gathered into the barn of the Lord. The wheat and the tares compared to the church in Smyrna. Heavenly Father, I worship you and I praise you. I thank you for the word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you encouraged us with this word to say that you know about everything. You are the first, the last who was dead and became alive. And Father, I pray now that if there's anybody who heard my voice today, Father, if the word has upset them, I pray that it upset them, Lord, to dig deeper and to study better and to find out more. If it is encouraged them, I thank you more, Lord, to encourage them even more. And now, Lord, we live for today with hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.